Welcome to another Round the Rotary podcast. And me, your host, J.P. Warren. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We know we you have your choice of uh, podcasts out there. And thank you for tuning in to the number one oil and gas podcast out there, Poor My Wife. And uh, before we begin, I got to say that Round the Rotary podcast is brought to you by Capital Petroleum Consultants, CPC specialized in project engineering and well-site supervision in all disciplines of oil and gas industry. Contact us through www.capitalpetroleumconsultants.com to see what CPC can do for you today. And with us in the studio today, we have a an old buddy of mine, Drew Limbacher. I'm, I'm finally glad to get you in here, man. Uh, you and I kind of like ebb and flow. Like we'll like always hang out, then we don't, then we do, then we don't. But I'm glad to see you here. I'm glad to, I know you've been working hard lately in this new venture you've been doing. I can't wait to hear about it. Um, again, this is uh, Drew Limbacher, the Vice President of Business Development and Engineering at Venser Energy. Yeah, thank you for having me. And so I, I have been li- listening to your podcast. Uh, and I definitely have uh, a few friends and people I know that have been on, and, right. and I love harassing them about it. Cody Cody Rodriguez is one of them. Oh, Co- I love Cody. So hopefully he's listening to this, and I get a chance to harass him. Well, let's. Him. I'll tell you what. Before we start harassing Cody, because I want to harass Cody around <laughs> okay. like minute thirty-seven. I want Cody to listen to this entire thing. Agreed. All right. Totally so, agree. So we'll give him a shout out here towards the middle of it or the end of it to make okay. sure he's a true listener. Okay. I agree. That's the goal. So, Drew, uh, before we uh, get kicked off, I mean, I like going in the background stuff, but let's talk about Lim- uh, Limbacher. Where is what, – what, what, where's that from? Where, where's, your, where's your clan from? <laughs> so I am a – it is a very German name. It's and, German? And so okay. Absolutely. And so my, my dad is uh, from Ohio, and the last name Limbacher is very German. I think his – So you took your dad's so last name. Good I think my Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I think my great grandpa is actually from Germany on my dad's side, so really? it is it's very much removed. And so I have a dad who is Limbacher from Germany, from Ohio, and then I have a mom who is from Jackson, Mississippi. Um, Pivato is the last name. Pivato is a mix, and so they met at at uh, LSU. Okay, and it kind of went from there. But and so yeah. your so your dad and my old uh, mentor, my old boss Bubba Smith over at Penergy, they're 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 tight. They're boys. That's right. right. That's right. So he he would be a. Not old school, but he would be a long-term oil and gas person. You can say old school. It's the, fine. the Burlington Resources Mafia, yeah. that that whole deal, and so from Meridian Energy to uh, to Burlington Resources too, and he's done several things afterwards. But yeah, so I think he he knows Bubba and probably a lot of other people. Oh yeah. That. So yeah. so you grew up around the, the so is Ohio is that a big German uh, uh, group up there? So I think there is a a, a definite contingency. That is German that went to Ohio and settled there. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, because I know I know I know Texas has a, a huge German Czech population as well. Uh, I don't know Polish as well. Maybe I don't know. No, that's right. So Polish. So if I go to uh, Slitter, uh, so if you're going to Slitterbahn, what is that? That's Polish, right? I, I think so. I think that counts. I think so. I agree. That's I basically, that's, that's basically Germany, depending on your time frame in the 1940s. I think that's all Germany. That all counts. Literally, I know history. In Germany, back in the 1940s, they would go to water parks uh, to blow off steam. No, I think that's right. Okay. That's really right. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. So, Drew, why don't, you, uh, why don't you just kick off, man? Just tell us, So, you grew up in the oil field, around yeah. the oil field with your dad, yeah. right? And is is this something that you wanted to do, or is it kind of were you were you, were you pushing into about by your dad or family or influences or anything like that? But what what brought you uh, where you're sitting at today? Why don't you just start us off? Yeah, sure. So I uh, I was where I wasn't going to go into the oil field actually, and so I went to I wanted to do something different. Like and what? So, and so uh, and different being away from where I was. And so I was in high school, and I went to I was I was raised here in Houston. I went okay. to Klein High School. Okay. And all my friends seemed like went to A&M or University of Texas. I ended up going to OU just for something something different, didn't know anybody. 
Um, started off in mechanical engineering and just I just wanted to see where it went and just wanted a fresh start. And I did my first, I ended up, uh, somebody convinced me to do, at least to try petroleum engineering, just to think about it. Well, what do you mean someone? So, was that a professor? Or is it like your buddies in school or what? No, it was that. And then it was, frankly, some different scholarship opportunities. Okay. A few other things that said, eh, maybe you should actually think about this. So I, I did. I did in my first internship uh, with ConocoPhillips. Okay. It was offshore. So off of um, so offshore being with Conoco, offshore being Gulf of Mexico. The deep water? So it, was, it started more inland waters than okay. deep water, although we did a little bit of off, kind of more deep water. But I say inland waters, so... We did an internship on a, my first summer. So you took a, of, you took a crew boat, crew boat out there. In that's right. So Homa, so Homa was the the base, but right. it was really we launched out of Cocodry. Okay. And so from Cocodry, we we did these inland waters, and I stayed in a double wide trailer with twelve Cajun guys, which was an experience on Such in and experience. of itself. And it was awesome. And so it was two weeks on, two weeks off. I was eighteen at the time. I started bringing fishing poles with me, and so we'd work fourteen hour days. And then at the end of the day, they'd hang spotlights from the separator platforms, yep. and we'd just go yep. fishing at the yep. end of the day. Yep. And I was like, this is cool. This, this is a, work? This is a fun industry. Yeah. yeah. I, I get to work hard and play hard? I love it. I love <laughs> yeah, it. I could make this work. And so I did that first internship. And then um, so not only do was it fun and interesting work, especially on the engineering side, but, I mean, it, it paid well. It was a career. It was people that I liked that yeah. were down to earth. Yeah. I said, I think I could do this. I'm like, this is okay. Like I, I was set against it just because I had family in the industry. Then I said, no, this is, were you hesitant before you took that internship or is this one of those things like, Oh, well, the scholarships and all that stuff. I'm, I have to do this internship before I decide what I want to do. Like, so no, that's right. So this is your first kind of exposure to the oil and gas industry. Well, besides your, your, your dad, but I, but I'm talking about like actually getting in the field, working with, with guys and girls that are out there. No, that's right. And so I said, eh, like, this is good. Like, I'll get some experience and yeah. I'll give you some engineering thing and I'll kind of keep taking steps forward. And I got out there, I met the people, um, especially Southern Louisiana people. But, and uh, I said, this is amazing. <laughs> this is I a, think lot that's literally, a lot of fun. I think that's literally kind of the only thing that has like kept me here this long is yeah. the people. You know yeah, what I mean? I like, agree. it's, it's all, of our, all of our skills and knowledge, it's all transferable. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's, it's the people that keeps us here. Agreed. So, so I did that. It was amazing. I actually switched my career from from mechanical engineering to actually specifically to petroleum engineering. Okay. okay. Uh, continued on with that with the, in the University of Oklahoma and ended up graduating. And so I and jumping into the industry and, and with High Mount, which was kind of Dominion splitting off their assets at the time, and kind of went from there. But that was how I got started. It was really that first internship that said. Hey, this is pretty fun. This is okay. I'll tell you one thing: the, the stories and the characters that are out there is is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So, so, you, so you graduated. Then where'd you with the PE? Then where'd you go? So that's right. So I did petroleum engineering. I I also did an internship with Devin at the time, and a smaller company. My last internship with a smaller company, kind of Dominion slash High Mount. So Dominion being the large. So if you go to the East Coast and you go to the large electrical provider. Dominion's it. I mean, it's a very large group. Okay. And they had a lot of upstream assets for a long period of time. And at some point, roughly around 2008, they decided to divest a lot of that. And so um, and Lynn and Highmount took most of the upstream assets from so when, Dominion. So when did you graduate? What year? It's 2010. Okay, 2010. Okay. That's right. All right. And so right as they're, Dominion is divesting a lot of those assets, Highmount is just getting started. It's basically a startup with the Dominion upstream assets. And a lot of Dominion personnel, um, and I met that, and I like the startup feel. Like I like the, the idea of getting to 
look at a lot of different things. That excited uh, you. Yeah, it was awesome. And, yeah. and I, um, I liked the personnel that were involved in Oklahoma City at the time and the people that were starting it. And I thought it was really exciting. And so I actually ended up taking a job. And that's kind of my first one. So I started off in operations, specifically facilities and production engineering on that, on the, uh, with High Mount. Okay. And so their main opportunity was in kind of South Texas, or I say South, South Permian. So Valverde Basin, uh, Sonora, Texas, Canyon Sands. Okay. And then we ended up expanding from there and doing a lot of other things. But I, I dropped in, jumped into operations with High Mount EMP right out of school. So, did, I mean, did you enjoy your first role in the oil and gas industry? I thought it was awesome. Okay. Yeah, right. I thought it was really cool. So so the Conoco experience convinced me to go into oil, into oil and gas. And yeah. then definitely High Mount convinced me to stay. I love my bosses, um, guys that have moved on to other things. But John Argo at Continental Resources now. John's um, a huge listener to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Huge we're, listener. We're going to confirm that. I'm going to send this to him at some point. <laughs> Ian Yingling has done private equities on the in-cap side. He's with Black Swan. He's in the program. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, there's several other guys on the, that have done a lot on the high mat side that I just enjoyed working with and because they were entrepreneurs, because they thought about the world differently, because... Um, I just thought this business was really exciting, and Time Out convinced me of that. Did you get a chance to, I guess, be around them and kind of and kind of uh, kind of get in their way of their because it, it's different when you go from a huge company where you actually had just have one role. Your job is to drill wells. Your job is to complete your job. I feel like at a company that's a startup with all this stuff. I mean, did you get a chance to kind of sit in the room and I guess kind of pick their brains and kind of learn from them on the, how they viewed uh, how they wear different hats and the entrepreneurial thing and all that? I mean. How was that for you? No, that's why I liked it. I mean, I, so High Mount. So I, I did the internship with Conoco and yeah. and Devin, and those are incredible <clears throat> companies. But what I really liked about High Mount was the startup feel. The look, you you need to be really good at what you do, but we need you to wear lots of hats and yeah. startup. So we need you to figure out how to make money and be creative. And I feel like the people I worked with there had the right personalities to figure that out. Right. Um, so yeah, that's what I, I loved about it. I, that's what it made me really enjoy the business was I got into that and it wasn't just a, this is the one thing you do and this, you're going to be really good at this one thing, but that's really all we want you to do. It was, a find me, find me a way to make money or be creative and we'll listen to you. And so you were in o- Oklahoma at the time? That's right. And so we were Oklahoma city. So really Northern Oklahoma city. So squales. This is real, but Quail Springs Park. First right off, right first next off. to Quail let, Springs Mall. Let me let me pump the brakes right now. Nothing's irrelevant here <laughs> yeah, around the Rotary. Yeah, everything okay. is relevant. Yeah, okay? okay, all right. So I don't I don't feel like I have to tell you that, but everything's relevant. That's right. So just west of Quail Springs Mall. Okay, it was the, there was a building, Quail Springs Parkway, that was split between Lynn and High Mount, and it was okay. the High Mount guys. We were actually absolutely in Oklahoma City, uh, Edmond area, and anyways, yeah. So it was. I love the people I work with. Okay. And, all right, and so you, you still keep in touch with my assume. So anyway, so so you, you're right. doing this. So how long were you at Highmount for and doing this operational money, whatever whatever you were doing? I mean, how, how long were you there for? That's right. So I was there for about five years. Um, and really, I would have been happy to stay there until we sold. And so it was uh, a private company. It was backed by the Tish family who owns Lowe's Hotels. Okay. And so Lowe's is a high-end hotel chain, and they own a lot of other things. But the point is they have a lot of investments. And so they they owned a, they owned High Mount, and at the time they said at kind of middle of 2014 they said, eh, now's probably a, maybe a good time to get out of the business. What was the middle of 2014 before uh, before no, the big crash? Before that, November 29th. That's right. Yep. And so we uh, put it on the market, and so I was I went through a lot of operational roles, ended up in Reservoir and then A and D. Okay. Uh, was on the sales team with especially with John Argo and Ian Yingling. 
sold to a company called Intervis, which I'll talk, which I'm sure we'll get into in a minute. And so here in Heim, or here in Houston, uh, and then we sold in the middle of 2014. That's right. And then I'm just flabbergasted. You you bring that company up like no one's ever a company called Intervis. <laughs> yeah, it's a big okay. It's a big people group. know Intervis. Okay, that's right. It's okay, a big go group. on. <laughs> and so we sold to them, and and uh, I owned uh, a house at the time, and so my wife and I were planning to stay there. We're happy in Oklahoma. We're yeah. gonna move into that house. Uh, we sold, and then, like you know, at the end of 2014, there was a big it was oil the, crash. It was the Friday after uh, <laughs> yes. after Thanksgiving. I it was that. OPEC had their meeting, and oh, let's let's uh, let's open the taps. Yeah, let's just grass the whole market. Let's yeah, just, just burn. It'll be fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. So, uh, so that happened, and then so I, I uh, ended up taking a job with Intervest, and so it was my wife right before we got married, and so I basically was kind of trying to convince her to hey, we should move and kind of re- restart our life here in Houston. And, so. And, so, and, and she and she, and she also uh, has, has a career as well. So what, what was she doing at this time? That's right. And so she uh, so she had worked. So she went to school at OU. That's okay. where we met. Um, Did you want me to class or what? No, I met, we met at a bar and I was embarrassed. And so I was incredibly embarrassing, but I was memorable. That's my move. Go on. And that was enough to get me a second date. And then it kind of just went from there. It's and all then, history. And then that. she's like, uh this is okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sure. Why not? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and so from there, she was back in law school actually at the time. Okay. And so I think she was in her second year of law school when that happened, if it wasn't the first year. Um, and I convinced her, hey, we should, not only should you not finish here, but we should probably move down and start a life in Houston and yeah, yeah. Anyways. And so I convinced her to, to change and we ended up moving to Houston. And So where did she transfer to? University of Houston. Okay. So she actually finished her law school, her third year of law school, I'm I'm sure, and she was very nice about it at the University of Houston. And so my pitch to her was, not only do you get to finish your third year of law school in Houston, but because we already own a house here in Oklahoma and because I'm cheap, like I'm not going to pay for a, a second mortgage, so you get to live with your in-laws, my parents, for a period of time. While which, we, isn't well, bad, which isn't a bad deal, because apparently <laughs> Bubba tells me your dad knows some wine, so that's, that's not that, a bad thing. That's right. It's okay. And so... I, I convinced her that not only do you have to like leave all your friends and come to Houston, you we're going to live with my in-law, right. with your in-laws, my parents for a period, for our first year of marriage, essentially, until I'm, because I'm cheap, I'm going to sell this house and then we'll immediately move out. I like how you put it professional. <laughs> let's live with your in-laws. No, let's live with mommy and daddy for a little bit. Yes. Let's live with mommy and daddy like, for a little bit. Yeah. I'm not paying two mortgages. Like, uh, I, I don't know what you I think about that. me. But. I get that. No, I know you. I know you when it comes to uh, frivolous spending. I get it. No, that's it. right. So. Oh, I left the bottle of bourbon at the house. No, and this dude. is right during the oil crash. And so Edmond, Oklahoma is not an easy place to sell a house during uh, an oil crash. Right. Actually, believe it or not, and so ended up eventually selling. We moved out. She was had a blast at my parents' house. I think she was okay with that. Actually, yeah. I think she was, she was fine. I get it. <laughs> um, and so there, and so we worked for Intervest, which is an incredible company at the time, and still is an incredible company. Thank you. Um, and so worked for them. And so what were you doing at Intervest? And so I'm sorry. So they were very nice to me. And so they gave me a chance to like, look, we need you to. Um, I told them I wanted to work A and D for them because they did a lot of deals and they're really good at it. And so what, I, what, what attracted you about the A and D side of side of the business? I uh, I tried to figure out what I was good at, and I I think I'm a good engineer, but I I uh, I'm also good at the business side of things. Okay. And what I'm really good at, I think, which is weird and hard to explain, is melding the engineering and the business side together, and that's a lot of A and D work actually. Really. Um, is what that looks like is how do I meld commercial and engineering and put it together into a business? 
and it just seemed like it was a perfect fit. Like okay. not only did I enjoy it, but I think I was good at it. And and anyway, and so Interfest was a great place to do that. Is they were doing a lot of deals at the time and were a great operating company. And they said, yeah, come in. But first, we need to understand how we do things. And so their point was, uh, put you in the mid-con. So I started off in the mid-con with them. And they had a, a JOA with Fourpoint at the time. Okay. And so got to work that and figure out how they did things and how they looked at the world. And, and that, they, was, they and that was a bigger company from the startup company you were accustomed to. No, that's right. So Interfest is a big group. Yeah. No, that's right. And so... Uh, they gave me the opportunity to look at how they operated, how they thought about the world, and then after working kind of that mid-continent position, to move into their A and D group and say, okay, now kind of go acquire. Let's look at how we acquire things and how we kind of incorporate that into operating. That's got to be such a cool experience. I it, mean, that's that's. I mean, the engineering side of the aspect, first off, is fascinating to me. I mean, I, I mean, I understand how you guys can look down hole in the dark on on a on a, on a nine and a half inch hole and understand what's going on 8,000 feet in the ground. I think it's fascinating, but I think that's cool. The, the, the other side is the business side of things, you know, uh, the fact that you can kind of marry that or kind of be the liaison between the two. I mean, I'm sure that was a, a great experience on the resume level, but also on a, on a personal growth level. No, that's right. And that's what I liked. I mean, that's what made it fun. And so I tried to figure out, I mean, I, and I know it makes sense, but it's, you should do the things that you like doing and you're good at because that's where you'll be successful. Yeah. So if you try to force things that, eh, that doesn't really make sense for you, but you could probably do okay at it. Like you're never, well, you're, you're not going to be satisfied. You're going to be miserable. And then you'll always just be kind of okay. But if you just do what you're good at, like there'll be things that open up. It's going to be fun. And that's why you have a team and that's why you have people that fill right. gaps for you. And that's right. And so, so did you like that? Uh, I guess the big uh, corporate uh, uh, culture life and all that stuff. No, I thought Interest was an incredible place to work. I, I enjoyed working there. I got to see a lot of deals. I learned a lot. Right. Um, that being said, I was there for about a year, and I got a call from people that used to work at um, Highmount, and really the principal guys that used to work okay. at Highmount. So it'd be Steve Hinchman, Andy Lundy, and Alan May. They said, "Look, we're, we're doing this startup, and." Uh, the timing's right, and we're backed by a company called a private equity group called Incap, and we think it's a really good opportunity to kind of go and look and acquire assets and develop them, and all this stuff makes sense. And I and, kinda, so, you, and so you've got the experience about uh, looking at deals and understanding what's important, what's not important. That's right. And going back to the original thing I talked about why why I joined Highmount is I really like that. Like I like the startup. Yeah. I like looking at lots of weird things and. The answer is, yeah, you're not totally an expert, but you need to figure this out. Like, tell me how we're going to make this work. I think that's fun. Jump in and swim. Yes. And so I, I uh, both enjoy that, and it fits my personality, and it's kind of what I'm good at in certain aspects. And so I said, yeah. So you, you know, went we, to Scala. So that's right. So I went there. Uh, again, what, uh, Scala? No. That, so so I did. Uh, so Scala was what I said for the first six months. <laughs> so I was, I, you know what? I feel like this is what caused, was, this is this is why right. we don't hang out. This is what caused our rift. And then I was in a meeting, and somebody says, "Actually, it's Scala." And I'm like, "Ah, uh, crap." You're like, well, <laughs> okay. "Is it? Is it really, Chad? Is it really Scala?" It can really be whatever you wanted. Yeah, enough of the lowercase a's. That's okay? right. That's right. So yeah. we 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 looked in the Permian. I mean, we looked at a lot of places, but we focused on the Permian. And we ended up buying a position in the Western Permian, Culberson County, okay. um, via uh, again backed by NCAP. And we ended up with about thirty-eight thousand acres. Uh, we drilled, you know, twelve to fifteen delineations and even delineation wells. And even then, in the Wolf Camp, and even then, a six-well kind of pilot development program. Mm-hmm. And we were absolutely ready to develop. And then twenty nineteen happened, and twenty twenty happened, and commodity prices and everything else did a lot of weird things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> 
so I learned an incredible amount of information there. Um, learned a lot from our leaders there. And then at this point, you know, per a lot of the industry, it's like, like commodity prices have dropped. Like you guys are doing an incredible job, but we have to figure out a way to cut GNA and keep this thing going. And so at that time, especially after COVID, so yeah. it'd be March, April, May of 2020. Okay. And they said, look, we're, we're going to consolidate and we're going to kind of move the Scala team out and kind of look to do something different. You know what's unfortunate about that, though? I mean, I, I got a lot of buddies, a lot of customers that are kind of, you know, backed by these private equity companies and all that stuff, and it doesn't matter how good of a job you do. It doesn't matter how good of an engineer, how good of a management team or leadership team you do. Like, at the end of the day, like, it's not your decision. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of good people out there that, that did get wrapped up or consolidated or, or, or had packages let go, but, it's it's again, it's it was out of their control. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, agreed. And it's not, it's just it's just part of the times. It's a shitty part of the times. That's right. And it's hard to say, but it's not personal. Like it's truly just a, somebody's looking at this and say, "Look, I, I have to find a way to cut costs." Yeah. I mean, especially think about May 2020. I mean, prices are down to nothing. Nobody's sure of what the next multiple years look like. Everybody has some level of RBL debt. Or and mind you, oil got to negative 37 about <laughs> three weeks before that. Yes. Somebody has, everybody has some kind of dead. And so if you're explaining to people that you're doing investments for, what do I do with this? Like you have to do something, right? I mean, you have to take steps forward that are positive. And so to say it's not personal is an awful thing, but it's it's true. Like like if you can either employ, I mean, I I can employ nobody and just let the whole thing crash or I can employ some people and just kind of keep this thing going. And unfortunately, that's part of being part of a commodity business is it has ups and downs to it. And that's um, the thing, though, man. It's, it's, it's not personal. It has nothing to, to – it doesn't reflect – I mean, obviously, there's some cases it does reflect on the personnel. But the majority of the time, it doesn't reflect on the personnel. It's, it, 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 it sucks. It's an ego hit. You yeah. know what I mean? And you got to get past that. Yep. I mean, everyone's in the same – not the same boat, the same storm. You just got to get past that. No, I agree. And you keep going. And so in a – especially a commodity-based business – it's demand driven. And so when demand drops dramatically for some weird, unforeseen reason, like a global, global pandemic. Thanks news. <laughs> yeah, what, I mean, what am I supposed to do? And so it's not personal and you just reset and find, so, a, find so, a way forward. That's so, right. so the financial backers came in, they said, Hey, we're look, we're consolidating. So this is, you're at Scala. Uh, your wife now is, a, is an attorney. That's right. Right. Uh, Fort Bend County still. That's right. And so my wife, so here's the plug. First off, first off, if you're listening out there, if you're listening out there, understand that I remember it's Fort Bend County from years ago. All right. He didn't tell me that before. No, that's true. You're doing really good. Yeah. I'm, and a, then I'm this, a listener. This is a good test. And so my wife is a district attorney in Fort Bend County. Right. She's an incredible attorney and she works very hard uh, and a wonderful mother and, and wife. And uh, anyways, I don't, I'm going to see if she's less brownie points right now. <laughs> yes, I need some. Well, first off, that's major brownie points. Oh, wonderful wife, mother. She's great at driving. So, hilarious. So just a couple of background is, is I told her I was going to do this. And she says, look, I'm going to listen to the podcast and I'm going to make fun of you immediately afterwards. Uh, so this is a test. Number one, are you listening? And then number two is you have to find a reason to make fun of me afterwards. Cause I feel like it's going okay. I it's like going, going okay fine. so far. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll, yeah, we'll okay. get there. We'll get there. You shellfish allergic. Okay. So, so, uh, so they come in, it's May. It's times are, I mean, oil got to negative $37 three weeks before. Everyone thought the oil industry is over pretty much. Like you, you're seeing layoffs on LinkedIn. You're seeing people looking for work. The green the green circle starts coming up, open for work, open for work, doom and gloom. And suddenly you get hit with this news. 
No, that's right. And it was, it's absolutely a punch to the gut. I agree with that. I mean, it's, it's well, how did you process that? It was hard. And I, um, uh, I mean, I drank some. And then I, I think everyone I, drank during I, I, talked, I talked to a lot of people. And, yeah. And so, it, but it was, it was just a reality. And so I, I got it and it's trying to figure out what to nude next. And so, so, I, so let's say it's, it's happened. So it's over. And so I'm kind of in a transition period. Yeah. And, the first thing I did was, which I don't know if it was right or wrong, but I started calling people and being like, look, this happened, and what are you seeing, and what do you think? And this industry and these people in it were all very sympathetic and helpful and be like, look, I don't have any good answer for you other than that sucks. Well, what, and I'm what, sorry. What, well what was your objective to pick up the phone and start reaching out to connections? or making? Were you calling old connections or making new connections? What? It was mostly people that I had talked to before, okay. which is great. So I, I was glad and I was in, I mean, I was more of a technical role, but to some degree business development. So I got a chance to at least talk to some people, which is wonderful. So I had, I had a, not even a, a Rolodex, but at least some people to call to start with. Yeah, exactly. Which is better than a lot, which is like if you're in just a technical role, sometimes it's hard to reach out and talk to people. And you know what's That's funny? not fair, but. I, I'm, I'm not going on a tangent here, but I kind of am. <clears throat> I remember, uh, you know some previous roles I had, um, I felt like, okay, well I'm in this role. I don't need to network. I wouldn't, I'm, I'm like, what's the point of networking? You know yep. what I mean? Like I got this role and all that stuff. But at the same time, it's like, just because you're satisfied in a role or just because you don't see yourself going anywhere, you see yourself evolving with that company. It's so important to continue to build networks because number one, you don't know what's coming down the line. You know what I mean? Number two, yep. you don't know where this one connection could help you out or you can help them out, you know? And uh, number three, it's just good to pick up the phone and, just, and, and meet new people and talk to people. Agreed. So I am a, I'm a natural introvert. And so my ability to actually reach out and talk to people, I mean, I'm sure is terrible, but I've had to work on it. It's important. It matters. It, the other thing I read the other, there's an article I read the other day that talked about the United States and our flexible labor market, which is great. But the other side of that is, in the United States, you usually don't, despite what your parents did, usually don't make it past about four and a half years. It doesn't matter the industry, whether it's ours or somebody else's, without having something happen. What do you mean? Whether, whether that's a whether that's where you switch jobs or there's a new owner or something else. I guess something you, that's kind of average. You don't get to be 20 years in a job and be like, eh, this is fine. You get about, on the average... In the United States, you get four to five years. See, that's very interesting. I had a podcast. Uh, I recorded a podcast this morning with, with Nina Spencer. And we were talking about like tenure at uh, companies. You know, yeah. like back in our parents' times, like I mean, my dad was at PwC for. 30, 35 years. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure your dad was at a place a long time. Like, the whole being at a, at a at one company for a long time, seven plus years, ten years, fifteen, twenty years. That's not the case anymore. In 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 our generation you know what i mean like it's people are leaving you know two to four years four to six years i mean the the movement is more common than it was before in our in our in the previous generation times no that's right and so i i the argument is look you get um even in the united states despite the industry you get four and a half years as the average despite the industry and that's it and then, so you shouldn't expect more than four and a half years before something happens, whether that's somebody expect buys change. your company or there's some kind of a change that you have to adapt to. And there's arguments for and against that on, well, that's not good because, you know, you should have a job versus a flexible labor market and that's all fine. But 
point is, change is happening. But like, you know what? Change, every four to five change years. always happens. That's and the, right. And the thing is, though, you can either clamp down and hold on to the past or what you've done before. Or That's right. Blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, I mean, it's regardless whether you like it or not, it's coming your way. No, that's right. And you have to at least look at, 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 on average, at least every four to five years. And you have to look at it. You have yeah. to look at it as opportunity versus like, oh shit, like oh my god, change is coming. Oh, I, yes, I, I'm and it's nervous. okay. That's it's right. Okay. No, that's right. Change is natural. Change is life. And so BD and I say BD, but even from an introvert, talking to people matters. Like people matter. I love how you're an introvert in BD. By the way, <laughs> yes, uh, I love that. There's no reason. Yes, I love that. I t- totally agree. But. So you're at the house. You're picking up the phone. You're 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 calling uh, old connections. You're, you're you're reaching out to new connections as well. Yeah, to some degree. That's and, right. And are you, are you looking? What is your objective for these calls? Um, I like to. My objective is to understand the market, to get a feel for where they see hiring personnel where they see it headed. And for the most part, it was, it felt like sympathy, but I can't do anything for you. I mean, at the time, everybody was either hunkered down or fire. I mean, or yeah. letting people go, unfortunately. Synergies. Right. That's right. So synergy. So I'm going to, for through M&A, I'm going to combine with this company and let 500 million of GNA go or whatever the answer was. And so how do, how do you deal with that? And so... I kept working. I kept making a lot of phone calls. I kept a spreadsheet of people I called and when and what we talked about. And uh, again, my wife made fun of me a lot, which is fine. It's probably probably deserved. But by the way, it sounds like a very scary household to walk into if you're always walking to get roasted. <laughs> That's right. You're always getting roasted when no, you walk in the door. <laughs> no, my wife is nice. I'm, a, no, I'm jo- a, I love your wife. I'm joking she's, around. She's the nicest person I know. I, know. I don't. I have no idea why we're married, but she. <laughs> I pulled it off somehow. I don't want to question it, but. Um, and so at some point after doing all this work and not to say that it was because of my work or because of some divine intervention or whatever else, but I got an opportunity, which was incredible, which was, um, so we're, which is where I'm at now, which is venture energy. And so we, we are, uh, backed by a company called VTOL group. And so Don Dotson is our CEO and did all the hard work at raising the money. Okay. And, um, he was just getting ready to get kicked off and start looking for opportunities and something happened, and the guy that was in my role kind of stepped out, and he says, like, i got to fill this role very quickly. Um, and, and there's a lot of background behind that. But he, anyways, and so I got an opportunity through well, through connections and through people I knew. That's what I was, was going to ask you. And, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, so so that connection, this opportunity that, that, that popped up, um, it was through networking. It was through making calls. It was through putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and being, hey, look, yeah, I'm, I'm curious if if you have something. Like, I'd love to talk about it. That's right. And so, again, I don't think it's any kind of personal worth type thing other than just try. You have to try. Yeah. I mean, I, and so I got this opportunity. I talked to Don at the time who had somebody else in my, was in my role step out. And he said, look, I need to fill this role quickly. Um, we had a conversation. We messed well from a personality standpoint. Okay. We messed well from a, a, a viewpoint and life standpoint. And he said, look, I, I think you should step in and fill this. And so we did. Um, and it was amazing. Like all of a sudden, it just happened all of a sudden. So it happened to like, look, zero, zero opportunities. Like I have no chances. Like I don't know how I'm going to job, yeah. get, going to get a job to like you're the guy. Like I, I think you should step in. Was, and it, was this a, was this a, like a major step for you, or was it like the, the, the 
is this stuff that you you were already doing previously, or is this one of those things? It's like, man, I kind of did this a little bit. This is this is a lot more responsibility, but I'm just going to jump in and swim. Like I'm going to make it work, or or was it something like, yeah, I know how to do this? No, I think it was stuff I knew how to do. I think it was stuff I uh, I'd done previously, and so at Scala and through working through Alan May and other people, like I knew what I was like. I knew how to do it, but it's people that had stepped out of that role. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I'd already done. Like, I, okay. I, I can tell you. Like, so I you're comfortable to, with it. I'm comfortable with it. I know how to do this. Don stepped in and said, look, I need somebody to fill this role. Um, and it was the perfect fit, actually. From, really? a, pers- from a personality standpoint, from uh, everything else I could think of standpoint, is like, we should, this works. Like, we should get together. I can step in and fill this role. Isn't that and, a great feeling when it just jives? Yes. And so it's, it's a great feeling. And again, it's it's not... Uh, I like to think it's like because I did all this hard work, but I think that's true. I mean, that's part of it, but it's because also somebody steps in and says, hey, this is good. Like, this fits. And um, so Don Dotson, and I'll give my plug now. I'm sorry. But it, so Don Dotson did all the hard work at raises the, raising the money with a company called VTOL. So VTOL was actually the largest commodities trading group in the United States. Okay. And, and even in the world, actually. And so they trade 8 million barrels of, a day of crude. And so of 100 million barrels a day that actually gets consumed or traded in the world. They're doing almost 10%. They traded 8 or 9, almost 10% of it. That's insane. And then in, in the United States, they trade about a million barrels a day. That's a lot of crude. Yeah. And so they looked at the market and said, like, I, I don't think this stuff's going away. Um, yeah, renewables is great and all these things are happening, but this is a good time to actually get into the business, especially the U.S. onshore business. And so... And through that, they would like to invest through a company called Vincer, which is where I'm at now, and right. through Don Dotson. And so that's what we're doing. And so we are, through Don and and me jumping in at the right time, is we're looking for PDP-heavy assets. We're looking for – we're basin agnostic, hydrocarbon mix agnostic. And we like to invest in the U.S. onshore space through VTOL. Okay. In the matter of kind of $500 million to maybe 2 to $3 billion range. And that's cash or equity at the time, or equity, basically. Um, so it's not like, a, oh, we'll give you stock and you can kind of work through it. Like, I mean, people believe in this industry and that it's not going away as quickly as people think. And Well, it's not going it. away as quickly as the, the news will say or anything like that. But, I mean, so, so let me ask you a question, though. So you were doing, you were kind of doing this uh, similar role at Scala. Scala, JP. Relax, Drew. Chill out. Anyway, so you're doing a similar role at Scala, Scala, whatever, and then you you go over there. How different was the, I guess, the environment when it comes to, I guess, looking at deals, going to data rooms and all that stuff currently versus what it was 11, 12 months ago? If you can speak to that. If you can't, no worries. I'll keep, I'll keep the conversation going. You tell me. No, I thought, um, I thought last year was hard. I thought 2020 was hard. So we're getting started up. We're trying to find ways to get in. And when when did you go over there? So um, roughly July. July. Okay. July 2020. Okay. So in the, right in the thick of it. Yeah, right in the middle of COVID and everything yeah. else and all the other weird shit. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. I got Stuff you. I'll say going. it. I'll say it. And so, and I, and I said, anyways, and so, and in the middle of all these things going on, I thought even 2020 was hard, which was just, look, we're going to hunker down and... Maybe we find a way to do something, but like we're just going to try to find a way to survive. Right. To most recently, we are still have the same hypothesis, which is like we'd like to spend through VTOL five hundred million to two 
two billion plus in equity or cash in the upstream business. Um, but it looks way different. Like I think people are more open to it. They understand. Like we've made it through an election season. We've made it through a lot of things, and this is a reality going forward. And we still believe in this business. It's not that these other things are 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 great, which is renewables and all these other things, which will grow and are fine. Oh, it will, and I'm fine with that. I love that. But this idea that you can replace 100 million barrels a day of energy. Think about the just the energy content of 100 million barrels a day of oil production, and that we can replace that with immediately with renewables. It's just not true, and so there, there's there's a transition that happens here, and so I think that's our point, and and working for Don and through Vital's point that look, oil oil and gas is still here. It still makes sense. It's not negative. It, it's not evil. It 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 still fits with what you need to kind of progress that's, to the next step. Drew, that's been the biggest frustration, I feel like. I mean, it's actually there's a lot of frustrations right now. But I, I feel like that's been a, a focal point on, on, on frustrations. It's it's not, in my opinion, I've never met one person, one you know, one man or woman in the oil and gas industry that says that's against renewables. That's against green energy. That's against you know, solar, wind, or whatever, the, whatever that is. But what we are against is the 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 lack of realistic stories or or truth that comes with. Like, it's not easy to switch over from, you know, you're not going to take a inter- intercontinental airplane and switch that over to solar and and just call it a day and like and all that stuff. So it's 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 more of a question of it's not renewables versus fossil. It's not a it's not a battle. You know what I mean? We coexist right now. The the thing what's frustrating is like, you know, people I you know I, I'm on a couple of text threads and they're like, oh, let's switch over to, yay, renewables tomorrow, renewables tomorrow. It's like, hey, I'm all for that. Don't get me wrong, but the technology is not there. So let's stop acting like it is and put this false narrative out there. That's not true because the technology is not there. That just steps in and replaces the the low cost energy efficient fossil that fossil fuels provide no i think that's right and and there's not a lot of i don't think you'll meet a lot of people in the emp industry that says look we don't like any competition and we should just i mean we competition is fine i think renewables are real and will and is a definite growth industry but when i look at the amount of industry or the amount of energy that has to be accounted for Going forward, it's crazy, and I don't know how you do with that without oil and gas. But let me ask you a you question, know? though how, how do you how do you, how do you tell that story? I mean, how do you how do you communicate uh, the energy requirements and what uh, oil and gas can do, what hydrocarbons can do? I mean, how do you communicate as an industry to that narrative? I mean, what can we do? I mean, that's a good question. And so, thank I, you. I, I uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. And so, I've been re- I've read it go. It's especially from the time I was at Scala. Scala and off and then join Vincer. I looked at kind of what what is, I mean, what does renewables really look like? And it is an incredible industry and it is a five to 6% subsidized return. Okay. Um, but can it really fill all the gaps we're talking about? And I don't think the answer is yes. And so some, some rationale around that is, you know, we have roughly what a billion people a day or 8 billion people in the world today. But there's, I mean, the projections are that we're going to have roughly 11 to 12 billion people in the next, I don't know, call it by 2050. 
that still need energy. Yes. Still need. I mean, all these things. Affor- rather, affordable energy. Affordable energy. And so that's great. And and I think renewables fill part of that. But is renewable fully in- renewable? And by that I mean. Are the batteries made in a in, in a car that you plug in the wall? I mean, can you actually that's dispose right. of No. I mean, you, right. you have and to so, mine for that stuff. I mean, the picture, the, 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 the life cycle picture is not there. That's right. And so wind and solar is great. But wind and solar, but I have to take wind and solar and I have to take it. I have to absorb it and then I have to transmit it across an electrical line yeah. to all these end users. That's not renewable. Like that takes... That takes lithium. That takes mining. That takes all these things that are not renewable. But that's but that's a tough that's the tough conversations we get in because it's not like facts don't win conversations these days. Yeah, that's right. Facts and data are not drivers of winning the hearts and minds of uh, people that are against fossil fuels or against the oil and gas industry just because what they read on an article or something like that, right? No, that's right. So, I agree. so how do you communicate with? Well, actually, the lithium battery takes you know X amount of time to, to, to or you have to do this. You to, that's not going to win uh, arguments. It's not going to convince people, right? So, no, so I, my so my question is, how, what can we do? What what can we do sitting across besides pointing the facts out? How can we have that engage in those conversations with people? No, I agree. Uh, I think, like you said, anybody in the oil and gas industry doesn't say. Oh, renewables renewables are bad. Right. It's not true. Like we think competition is fine. Absolutely. And I think renewables is a growth industry. And I think it's absolutely a path to the future. But this idea that you can meet all the energy needs of the world, especially the growth of the world tomorrow. Tomorrow. And even in the next thirty to fifty years, Colin. Yeah. And meet it in such a way that Anyways, oh, no, no, it's, I, I get it. Even it's frustrating to, to expand beyond energy poverty and all these other things that are happened. That so, yeah, I mean, and so I think part of the argument from the third world or from Southeast Southeast Asia yeah. or whatever else would say, yeah, you went, yeah, you guys are great, and I know you're saying do green energy, and that's great, um, but you kind of went through the buffet line and filled up your plate and. Here, you're telling, here we are trying to build. Yeah, you're telling us what to do. And you know what's interesting? I just did a, I just did a podcast two days ago with a Jasper Camacho. I know this guy in college, and he's very smart guy. And uh, he's over in Singapore, and he's providing energy, you know, actual affordable, efficient energy to these third world countries, right? And it's not one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, well, we we'll put up wind farms. I mean, they're, he's he was talking like, hey, look, their main source is still coal. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's it's, it's just because we're sitting here in this bubble, in the, in the U.S. bubble of like, oh, well, let's go renewable. Like, look at California doing brownouts and blackouts and all that stuff. It's like, but there's certain places in the country that we're not involved in, that we have no, that we don't see that rely on affordable energy to heat their homes, cool, cool their food, uh, cool their families. And it's it's the renewable side isn't there. You know, like it, it's, it's, it's great to do all like, oh, yeah, renewable. But if the technology is not there. And it's not going to be cost efficient. Agreed. And I think it grows. And but renewables is not renewable. I mean, wind and solar is renewable, but the ability to capture that and transmit it across the across the electrical grid right. it looks different. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so this idea that you're you have this whole thing figured out, 
and that you could do this without crippling the world economy and all these other things is, is just not true. Yeah. And so this idea that we are an evil organization that's bent on warming the globe is just not true. And we're the other angle on that is that we are a cheap alternative to bring people out of energy poverty. I mean, it's not just about North America. What's energy poverty? Energy poverty being 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 a lot of people, a lot of the world, and up to a billion people. I read a book called Factfulness. But there's a large group of people that don't have the type of electrical basis or energy or whatever else where a lot of people will burn, still burn dung or yeah. whatever else it is just to have your basic heating needs covered. Not let alone like just run a, run a refrigerator or whatever else it is. And so as these people come out of that, not to mention the additional two or three billion people that probably exist on the world despite what we have now. So yeah. we go from eight or nine to 12 and then them coming out of energy poverty, how are you going to cover that? Yeah. Are you really think you're going to cover that with renewables? Yeah. I, I don't think that's it's, true. It's, I don't think that's maybe true. Maybe one day, but we're not there yet that's as the a ar- society. No, and so that's the argument. So this idea that this is just an evil organization, that's not true. I mean, there's there's a lot to do in the near term and over the next 50 years of what oil and gas can help out on both an energy poverty level from uh, just helping people take the next step out of, look, I can live life better level. I mean, this is, um, anyways, it, we do, it's not we do, just, we do such a bad job as an industry, number one, communicating what we do. Because don't, look, the, the stereotype of our industry, it's, it's, it's roughnecks throwing chains. It's, you know, because, you know, the whole black gold show, it's like, oh, yeah, pollute this, pollute that. We don't care and all that stuff. The the advance we've made when it comes to an ESG, yeah, when it comes when it comes to, you know, our envi- environmental impact and what we do. And not only that, this is kind of want to segue the next conversation we're going to have is when it comes to uh, the, the charitable work that, that we do as an industry that you're seeing from Houston. We talked about this before when we were sitting in the room, we kind of just catching up and all that stuff. And, uh, and you mentioned something about um, the amount of charitable people in the oil and gas industry in Houston that you see that you, that, that you're exposed to. Um, and we just had a bad story about talking about that. So if you don't mind, I mean, tell me about kind of, uh, things that kind of you're involved in and, and, uh, that we discussed earlier about, I guess, when it comes to giving back to the community. No, that's right. And so I, uh, I mean, luckily I'm involved in a couple of different organizations to give back. One is the Society of Petroleum Engineers, SPE. Right. I'm in a, a business development group there and SPE is a 501c3 slash, um, just general charitable organization that tries to help out there or that helps out with STEM or STEM programs and um, um, scholarships and okay. everything else. And, but basically the people I've talked to, this is one of the most charitable organizations groups you'll be involved with. So, I mean, people look at the oil and gas industry, yeah, they're just in it for the money. They don't yep. care about anybody, but, the amount that they give back to both Houston and the community and everything else is incredible. Right. I mean, they look back and say, look, how can I help the person behind me? Uh, I think most of the people you talk to in this industry will look back and say, how can I help the people that are behind me? How can I help them take steps forward? How can I help my community in general? I'm not sure that's true everywhere. And so um, SPE is one I'm involved with. So it's kind of the SPE business development group. Um, and so 
again, SPE being a charitable organization that gives back on, um, like I said, STEM programs. So just scholarships, yeah. everything else you can imagine. Yeah. Um, we, we had that round the rotor here with a couple of SP uh, uh, presidents from various schools, whether it's U of H, Colorado School of Mines, and uh, Texas A&M University, and we brought in operators. You know what I mean? It's, it's such a good um, – it's a great organization because it connects people all levels of our industry. You know what I mean? That's what I love about it. No, agreed. And so I think SP is great. Um, I'm, I'm lucky and happy to be involved with that, and from a, from a business development standpoint – Point or anything else, um, but this group, this the oil and gas industry, Houston loves to give back. I mean, I, I, I know that doesn't maybe come across all the time, or I'm just not sure based on with other people I talk to, that's true everywhere else. Right. I mean, they're and by give back, I mean give back in a very big way. And I it's mean, not, it, and, it's and, a, and it's not just writing a check either. It's people's time, it's people's efforts, people's weekends, it's it's, it's people's weekdays. Yeah, that's right. And whether that's a Houston Food Bank or whether that is a scholarship program or whatever else that is, they just want to help. Yeah. And so this, I I I love Houston and oil and gas, and that people are happy to be around people that are down to earth, that love to have dirt on their fingernails that they love to get kind of get to work um and they love to help people well what what are some of the ways that people listening right now could help sbe because i remember we did that we did that round the round table and uh we had somebody chime in from uh nov and and fesco and all these other companies like man i'd love to host a a tour for the the student chapter i'd love to do this how could people that are listening right now reach out and i guess kind of help us the uh, Houston SB chapter or help whatever chapter, wherever they're listening. Oh, that's right. And so um, a couple of different ways is great question, JP. <laughs> yeah. Great question. JP is, and so I, I am involved with this, uh, the SBE Gulf coast section business development group. Mm-hmm. And it, frankly, if you just join a meeting like that fee that you base, uh, that fee that they charge to join the meeting, let's call it 20 to $50 yeah. goes towards scholarships. Like it go all that revenue or anything that they, do it for revenue minus expenses goes towards helping people. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the standard bullshit. I'm going to sign up for this. I'm talking about the, 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 the real stuff. How, I mean, how could people help? I mean, the mentorship roles or the, the site tours or the speaking, game, like uh, the attendance, what, what, how can people help? That's right. So one is attending two is, um, there's a lot of members in transition and other things, but it it's, gosh, this is a hard question, but really being involved. I mean, People are in a weird transition now. This has been yes. a weird year. Weird year. Absolutely. So if you're just involved and helpful, and give people an opportunity to kind of reset and go into next year with a here's how I can help. I don't think I'm really answering your question, but just being involved in any capacity of SPE, I think helps. Number one, just because of how they're set up. So any any contributions you do there help. For example, the SPE Business Development Group. We are going to the Houston Food Bank. Instead of a meeting next month, so February, we were going to the Houston Food Bank and we're going to just volunteer and awesome. give out meals. And so come join us, and that helps what people. What are you doing in February? Oh, I need to send that out. I have a I have a date. I know the date. I can't think of it in my my. No, head no, right. not, you're on the spot. You're on the spot. This is <laughs> yeah. this is your first podcast. Don't worry. So about if it. you look on at the Houston SBE, so SBE Gulf Coast Section Business Development Group. In February, we are doing a Houston Food Bank is service Co- project. Is Cody going to be there? Uh, I hope Cody's there. I'll tell you what. I'm going to show up. 
I'm going to be there. As long as Cody's there. That's right. No, 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 no. If <laughs> Cody, if you're listening, if uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be there. So this is Cody Rodriguez. He's a previous, uh, I think, I mean, he's a round the rotary type of person. He's right? a round the rotary previous guest, man. That's great right. Guy, and so great cat. He is Love a, the guy. He's a workout partner of mine. And so he actually shows up at my house or mine and his at various times. And so we're, this is the test to see if he actually is listening to this. This is the, this is the true t- friendship <laughs> test. This is the friendship test. I agree. And so you always got to test friendships. I promise that if you show up, Cody will be there. You'll get to meet him and that'll be wonderful. And so, but I mean, that's such a good cause though. I mean, you're, 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 you're the chapter's going out there. I mean, you're, you're helping the community. That's right. It's, 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 it's not a lot of, it, that's, that type of things are not focused on, you know what I mean? Just cause that, that's what we do. That's, that's just right. what we do, but we need to be telling those stories. No, that's right. And we're not very good at it. No, we're the worst at it. And we, we, we fight arguments with logic and data. You know what I mean? We fight no, arguments great. like engineers and we're, and people are not, everyone's an engineer. No, nobody cares. <laughs> I exactly. I, uh, but we are, we're a very generous industry and it feels weird to say that, but it, it's true. But, like, go, but going back to that, like, you know, how can I help and all this stuff? It's not one of those things. Maybe you don't have the answer, but maybe it's someone that comes to a meeting and they're like, oh shit, I can, I can take a handful of these people and, and, and do this at, the, you know, my, our facility or, oh, I, I can take this one person and help mentor them. Or, or there's the, those ideas of how you can help SB and, and, and the younger generation. Um, it's, it's kind of, it can be organic. It can be individual. You know what I mean? I mean, you can take someone under your wing and just kind of just talk to them, meet them for coffee once every three weeks. No, I agree. No, I agree. There's lots of ways to help. This industry is full of people that are willing to help, which I think is different than a lot of industries. Um, and there's lots of ways to do it. I mean, whether that's serving through SBE, other charitable organizations, and I know the industry's and we talked down about, an hour right now. We talked about, so we had Nina Spencer on, she talked about uh, CASA, the child advocacy yes. thing, which is, and you knew about that. No, that's right. And so whether it's through just being here in Houston and through a very charitable general group, which is basically oil and gas, I think is a charitable group of people, um, or through my church or whatever else, like there's a lot of ways to help people. Yeah. Uh, Whether that's through money, but it's not just money. It's, it's about time. It's about like Casa. I mean, it's a, it's a, um, Money is great, but they really want your time and to volunteer and to help people. And that's I guarantee you probably get more fulfillment out of that on a personal level. And not only that, but on an impactful level to other people's lives. If you do time versus just writing a check and just sending it off. Agreed. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, you, well, you're on. I mean, we're coming up to an hour right now. We got some steaks to cook. And we got some wine to open, like we normally do. Uh, not normally, but occasionally around the yeah, right podcast. Right. So that being said, you're on the University of Oklahoma Advisory Board, and you're sitting there, and so you're talking to to the future generations. And so there's some questions of should I pursue a career in oil and gas? Should I not? I mean, what what are you telling people these days, this this point in time? And we're recording this uh January, uh mid January twenty twenty one. What do you what do you, how would you advise people that are listening to this that that may be curious about entering the oil and gas industry, maybe thinking about leaving? I mean what what are you telling people? No, it, it's a fair question. And when I look at um, we talked a little bit about energy poverty and some of these other things going on, but when I look at the amount of energy demand and what has to happen in the world over the next 20 to 50 years, the idea that you can accomplish all that without oil and gas, I just don't believe to be true. Right. And so I, I, I'm looking at that, especially if you go from, what are we, 8 billion people now to roughly 12 billion people, which we think is maybe the max that we kind of max out in the next 20, 50. Um, like you need energy. Yeah. 
And so I think there's competition from that. I think renewables matter. I think the idea that we find more efficient ways to capture carbon matters. Like I think that's all real. This idea that you can't do that in oil and gas and then it's done in the next five years and it's gone. I just don't believe that to be true. But what are you telling people that are specifically saying, hey, Drew, like, should I enter the oil and gas industry right now? I got this. I got a mechanical engineering major. Should I enter the oil and gas industry or should my, is my time better spent somewhere else? What are you telling people to follow? No, it's fair. And I think it's, again, as I'm looking at the next 30 years, so call it 2050, and that's a lot of people are calling net zero in 2050. I'm saying you can't accomplish that without oil and gas. It sounds and, fun. And so it, to it, say. It, it sounds fun and it, it's interesting. But, and so, so maybe, yeah, maybe like if you want to hedge a little bit, you can talk about being an energy engineer and there's different things that I can do. But oil and gas is still necessary and absolutely part of the equation and whether you're talking about a carbon capture or whether you're talking about whatever it else it is, the ability to manage large, these large energy projects, petroleum engineering and this path forward is still matters over the next 30 years. It's not going away. Right. It's an important part. Of, and from an energy poverty standpoint, from a, lots of other aspects you can think of, this still matters. But so, I mean, but that being said, I mean, I, I know a lot of people have pursued the oil and gas industry because, you know, there was that whole like, oh, yeah, big paychecks, big this, big that. I mean, at the end of the day, that's not going to drive happiness. That's not going to drive fulfillment or satisfaction in your career or, or in your personal life, right? So if you're listening and you want to hop in the oil and gas industry just because you think there's a high paycheck, well, first off, think again, buddy boy. Uh, but it's, I had, you tell me. I, I would. I would. I would refrain from following just the money. You want. I would say you probably want to follow something you're passionate about that you'd get involved in, that you get attracted to, and you and you'd want to work on uh, on something like that. You know, in your off time, the weekends, like follow your passion. No, yeah. that's right. And so I, uh, I'm going to be honest. When I was in college, the idea that number one, this was a job, and this was a decent paying job, was absolutely a factor in that. Like that started it out, but mm -hmm. after I got in and worked for enough years, it just doesn't matter. I mean, I uh, life is too short to be miserable all the time. Amen. So you should do stuff that is fun and you think is impactful in the world and whatever else. And I have found all those things in oil and gas. If I'm being honest with you, I think it's fun. I think it's still impactful from an energy demand and from helping people standpoint, um, from being in Houston and and so. Um, I found a lot of things, but uh, there's a certain minimum amount. I agree, you need to take care of your family, but I, I think that's accomplished at a lot of different reasons. But other than that, yes, I, I think oil and gas is a great place to find a passion, to find a way to take care of your family, to find a way to help people, to find something that's interesting, all of those things. And this idea that you're going to get rich, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Life's weird, but... It's a great place to be. It absolutely uh, is. True. It absolutely is. And, and that's the thing, though. It's like follow what you want. Follow your passion. And just because, let's say, the, the, the paycheck isn't there the first week you do it, well, I started this baking company. I'm not going to pay it. Do what you love. Agreed. And it's uh, look, even if it doesn't take care of itself down the road, at least you're happy and you're not miserable, stressed, and you, you, you die of a stroke because you're miserable. Agreed. And you're working for people you don't want to work with. Agreed. So that's my point. So what 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 else you want to talk about? Shellfish. <laughs> so I, I am allergic to shellfish. Yeah, I know you it. are. I so we've been to lunch several times, and you said, "Hey, do you want shellfish?" And I said, "No, I don't want shellfish." Do you remember my first joke? 
This is before your first oh, child was this, here. Yeah, this is. Uh, so this is. Uh, it's, it's a selfish. It's related to selfish. To well, shelfish. don't give the punchline. No, I ruined dad. it for you. Absolutely. Yeah, you did. You actually <laughs> killed it. So, <laughs> yeah. so Drew and I met, and we're at a local poor. It was local no, poor in right. Houston. That's that's right. It's been knocked down since, and we're kind of sitting there, and and, uh, and he's like allergic. To, he tells me he's allergic to shellfish because I'm about to order the crab nachos or whatever. And I said, you know that lobsters are actually the 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 least uh, least popular f- creature in the ocean. And Drew's like, what? No shit. Why? Why is that? I didn't know that. I always thought the uh, barracuda was. Of course, he gives some scientific facts. I'm like, no, lobsters are. He's like, why? I'm like, well. Because they're so shellfish. <laughs> and I think I've used that joke with you every time we've met. No, it's worked. Then. It's the reason we're still friends. I, sure. I, I got to work it in all the time. I got to work it all the time. All right. So let's give one plug to Cody to make sure he's listening the entire way through. So Cody Rodriguez at Iron Orchard. And then we work. It's my workout partner in the morning. So yeah. I'm going to see if he brings us up or not. So it'll be see if he's listening or not. Do you outwork out him or does he outwork out you? I'll let him say that. I think. No, I, no, you tell me. He's I, not here in the No, studio. I think I'm absolutely the winner. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> we'll see so if that's true. Okay. So he, this is a good plug to see if that's true. Okay. Well. Well. Okay, now he's going to hear this. Now he's potentially. Hear potentially. And if he doesn't uh, work those extra reps, then you know he didn't listen to. This. Agreed. Agreed. He's lazy. Agreed. And your wife. And my wife, who uh, I told I was, I told her I was going on this, and she says you shouldn't be on a podcast. You're very boring. You are. So am I. Yes. I'm boring too. I don't give a shit though. There's nothing else to do. Right? What are we going to do? Go out work right now? Might as well sit around the corner and get on the podcast. No, I agree. Oh, so, what am I going to go? Sell something? And so I'm really just interested to see if, after saying this, if she comes back and say, eh, like you were less boring than I thought. It wasn't great, but you did, you did okay. You know what's bullshit? That you need a podcast to show your wife that you're not boring. You know I what I mean? I agree. But you know what? That's... That is the main goal of this podcast, to connect relationships again and make marriages strong and happy again, and agree. make people realize what they see in their spouses. I totally agree. So that's what you're here we for. We have a date night Friday. I think I'm going to use this. Like, Where are you I'm, going? I don't know. Well, what's your... What, okay, you got two children. Yes. One on the way. Yes. What is your date... What What was the ideal date night 2021? It's literally just being able to sit quietly for several hours without a, a child. Not even talking to your spouse. That is a great date night. <laughs> yeah. She's going to hear this. And she's going to be mad at you. She'll be mad at you about that. Oh, for sure. So sitting quietly for hours is an ideal date night. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. that's. I think <laughs> she had, probably has other expectations. No, for sure. We're yeah, gonna have, like yes. a nice dinner. Yeah. yeah. No, it'll be a nice dinner and drinks, but... But, sit, be... but not talking. Yeah, for, for sure. We'll just I dig that. Quietly. I dig that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. For sure. So uh, anyway, uh, Drew, you got anything else you want to bring up uh, on this on this episode right now? No, this is awesome. I appreciate you for having me. Well, I'm glad you're here, buddy. And uh, you gave me the biggest bullshit when you walked in here. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh uh, I had a, I bought a bottle of scotch, but I left it at the house. Yeah, you usually have pictures of people that provide you a scotch and. Well, first off, I, it's, I think it's, I could do that, but I like kinda, I failed. It's kind of grown on its own. Like I've never requested or asked for anything <laughs> like that, but it's kind of the fact that it happens. Yeah. It's one of those things. I'm keeping my mouth shut. Like it's man, the it's most amazing. Cool. It's the most amazing thing that's ever happened. And like I got to figure out in my personal life how I get to a scenario where people, when I invite people over, they just dude, break me. Scotch. Dude, like I got a buddy that that, that does uh, commercial real estate, builds commercial apartments, all stuff. He's like, hey, I, I think I need to start a podcast. I mean, you got a pretty good gig over there. I'm like, I don't know how it happened, but I love how this you're doing. Awesome. the path that's gone for sure anyway drew i appreciate everyone ever this is uh, drew limbacher the vice president of business development uh an introvert at a uh, business development and uh, engineering at a uh, venser 
uh, energy. And uh, Drew, I, I, I love your story. I love how the fact that you have that uh, the where you want to jump in on the entrepreneurial side of things and and your involvement with SPE. Um, again, everyone, you can reach out to Drew and just find out how to get involved and sign up for the SPE Gulf Coast Gulf Coast chapter. That's right. Um, and um and just, and just and just see what you can do. Even just even just meet the guy and talk to him. I mean, he's a great guy. Even though he likes sitting there in silence, which is <laughs> I, is his ideal conversation, which I think is not true. But uh, you can reach find him on LinkedIn and just kind of connect with him. Just kind of uh, engage in a conversation. Man, I appreciate you coming in. I know we got some steaks and uh, some wine to open up, but uh, let's get on that right now. Thanks for having me. I really uh, appreciate that. Absolutely, fun. man. Until next time. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on Around the Road. 